Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Yeah. All right, glad to hear that. So good to see you guys. Uh, before we get into the message today, I just want to take a moment and kind of have a good little family discussion as believers, uh, maybe how we should relate to some of the things going on in our world. If you've been around me for a long time, you know that I really just kind of try to stay away from current events uh, in terms of when I get up here to speak. Uh, one good reason is because I don't want to be political. That's, that's not what this is for. Uh, and then the second reason is I really want us to keep our attention on God and, and not be distracted by what's going on in the world. And the reality is there's always something going on in the world. There's always something broken. There's always something we could be talking about. And so I tend to just leave that out of Sunday mornings. But the past couple of weeks have been kind of extraordinary. And a lot of people are talking to me about it. A lot of people are asking questions, saying, how should we respond? What should our approach be? And so I, I just want to remind us as believers kind of how we should be looking at what's going on. If I could read just one passage to you out of the book of Revelation, it's a picture of heaven to come. It's a picture of what God anticipates for when his people all come together. Some of you maybe have heard this before or kind of have an idea where I'm going already, but it says, after this, I looked and behold the great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, and from all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. No division, no hate, no racism. It's just not there. And so what I think that we do need to remind ourselves of is what is our part to play in the world around us because most of us don't have a political position. There's not a lot we think, what could little old me do? I think there are two very important things that we can do and must do because we are followers of Jesus. The number one is this, we must pray. And I don't mean that like, oh, well, I hope we're praying. No, no, seriously, we must pray because if we don't pray, then who will? If we are not calling God to show up in our circumstances in this country and in this world, no one is going to be calling on God to show up. If we don't believe God can show up and change hearts and minds, no one is going to believe it. If we get off of our knees, who's going to do it? So I just want to encourage us to be incredibly aggressive on our knees in prayer. This world needs God, and it's all around us. The evidence is there. And then the second thing, is, you know, sometimes as believers, we, uh, we walk away from ungodliness with kind of a silent disapproval. You know, if, if someone at work is kind of telling an inappropriate joke or something, you, you've maybe become mature enough as a believer to say, I'm not going to laugh at that. I'm just going to, you know, go down the hall and I'm not going to be a part of what's going on there. And that's good. It's good we reach a point where walking away and, and letting our silence show that we're not a part of that is a good thing. But there's also a time where our voices need to reflect that what's going on is not a good thing. There are times we need to speak and remind people that this would not be tolerable to Jesus. And it can't be tolerable to the followers of Jesus. 
So I'm not calling for any protest. I don't have anything organized. I am not political. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just trying to answer many of the questions I've been receiving over the past couple of weeks from you guys saying, what, are, what, 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 what do we do? What we do is call on God and remind people we represent Jesus. And sometimes we're going to need to explain what that means and tell them that maybe something that they're saying or doing is just not something we're going to be a part of. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I hope that that's okay. Is that okay? Okay, good. Well, I got three of you with me. So we're on uh, part two of a series we just started last week about uh, what, what is coming, honestly, and it's called Think Different. And the reason we're doing this series is because we believe over the next nine to ten months that an incredible opportunity is coming to us. But success is not automatic. And that's why we're talking about this series. As we have been talking about the building, the building is coming. We're filing for building permits. We've, we've already got that in the works. And so right now we think everything is going to stay on track as we've planned, which means next month we could actually see demolition and construction. Come on, that's something to get excited about, right? Yep. And as we've been talking about the building for so long, it is very easy for us to think that's the most important thing going on. And so last week we kicked off the series with this really two important sentences. And the first one is this, the building is not the vision, changing lives is. If you guys were here, you, you know what I'm talking about. The building is not the vision, changing lives is. If you are not here, this is a very important vision series. These four weeks of who we need to become, where we are headed as a church, you might want to catch that online. And so flowing out of that idea, the first sentence that the building is not the vision, changing lives is, we came up with a little mantra of what we're going to be doing for the next nine to, month, next nine to ten months. And that is while the workers are building a building, we are going to be building a church. Did y'all catch that? See, we're not going to paint walls. We're not going to do all that sort of stuff. While the workers are building a building, we're going to be building a church. We're going to be very busy doing that because we've got to get ready to be the people God has called us to be so that when he sends new people, we are ready to help them. And we are ready to disciple them. And we are ready to point them towards Jesus. We, we've got to get there. And so over these three weeks, starting today and the next two weeks, we're going to talk about three very specific changes we have to make as people if we're going to actually be able to do that. So on your seat when you came in was this really cool little magnet. And uh, it's funny, you might have a hard time figuring out which way is up, but that's kind of the whole point of the series there. Uh, and, and so it just we're just going to ask you to put this somewhere you'll see it, like a refrigerator, because you're going to see that a lot in the next nine months. And just reminding you that we're not worried about the building, that's covered, but we do need to focus on becoming the church God has called us to be. And so what is your part? Because you have a part, hopefully you will get that question answered very soon and we'll be working towards that. So, you know, when I was 16, some of you already know this, I've, I've told this a few times, when I was 16, I knew at that point when I became a believer immediately, I kind of had a terrifying thought like, yes, I'm going to heaven, <gasps> but I realized God had called me to do this. And that was a freaky thought at the exact same time, like, heaven, pastor, no, you know? And the reason I didn't want to do this was literally because of that label, pastor. I knew God had called me to lead in his church, to, to do something in his kingdom, but the idea of being a pastor, I mean, first of all, I had a pastor, and he was like, at least to me, he seemed out of touch with everything. He wore a robe. I mean, not very fashionable, right? 
And, and uh, it seemed like he spent his whole day sitting in an office just praying and reading, and that just seemed lonely, and I didn't want to do that. And besides, any 16-year-olds in the room, I dare you to go to school and tell your friends you want to be a pastor. You're not getting invited to Friday night's party ever again. And just so you know, that never changes. I'm a pastor now. I don't get invited to parties on Friday night. Everybody's like, don't invite the pastor. I wanted to have fun. I invited Bob. Like, we're going to, you know, no. I mean, seriously, nobody invites me to to anything on Friday nights. Whatever it is that y'all do, I don't know. I don't get to do it. So... It's a great way for your circle of friends to shrink. Hey, guess what? God told me I'm going to be a pastor. Okay, see you later. All right, so I was like, man, this label is not going to work for me. I know what God has for me, but I don't, I'm not interested in that. And so actually, I would bet that there are many of you in the room that have walked away from what God has called you to do because you don't like the label that comes with it. That would be a really great message I should preach another time because we're not doing that today. Let me tell you what we are doing today. We're going to talk today about how the labels that we have in the church, the titles that people have, um, they, they are actually how we relate to each other. And so we relate to you based on what's on your business card, not what is the calling or gifting God has put inside of you. Sadly, too often we miss out on something because instead of going to someone for what's truly inside and what they're actually good at, we go to someone who's got the highest title on a ladder. And we don't realize what we're missing out on. So what I'd like to do today is look at a passage in Scripture where this has happened before. And it's beautiful whenever we're looking at something in our lives and we're saying, man, how should we respond? How should we solve this problem? If we can ever say, did this ever happen before? Is it in Scripture? Is the answer already there? And we can just flip back and see what to do. It's like, yes, that made our life easy. Well, it just so happens this is not the first time this has happened. And so we're going to look at when this happened before, we're going to look at how they responded, and we're going to see if we can come up with hopefully a good answer as well. Acts chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, is where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen right behind me. And so it starts out like this, very beginning. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, just stop and think about that for a second, when the disciples were increasing in number, that means that the church is growing And I planned this entire series talking about how the church has grown, the church will continue to grow, how we're going to move into a new building that's going to have a room two two and a half times this size on day one that can be expanded multiple times to where it's about six times this size, that that's our plan. I've always just thought, yeah, the church is going to grow. We want it to grow. We want to reach more people. We want more people in the room. We want it like that. And then as I was planning this message, it kind of occurred to me, Maybe there are some of us in the room, we're not real excited about the church constantly growing. Matter of fact, some of us might have actually come to Grace Life because, you know, we've got a small room and a lot of services, so it's easy for you to feel like you're going to a small church. If you come in at the same time and see the same people, and you think, man, that's, that's kind of what I'm going for, instead of all these new people, because, man, new people, they could cause problems, you just never know. But let's stop, stop and talk about this whole idea for a minute. I'm going to make some statements, and, and you just inside see if you kind of resonate with these. Don't, don't raise your hands or do anything like that. We're not voting. The church should grow if it is doing the job Jesus left it to do. After all, Jesus said, go and make disciples, and that's pretty much a simple mathematic addition sort of thing. Just is going to keep adding to that. 
You know, here's another one. People tend to think that growing churches or large churches somehow have lost their soul, whatever that really means. They've lost their soul. They lost the magic goodness that it had when they were smaller, that maybe they've become impersonal or even unspiritual. So, you know, growing could, could maybe not be a good thing. But did you know this? I'll make another statement, and this is true. The first megachurch was God's idea. And it happened so long ago, you can't blame anybody for trying to just get on TV as a televangelist or something like that. Didn't happen. No, no, no. I want us to see the first megachurch was God's idea. I want to show this to you. Actually, it was right after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they've got this wonderful little church. They've got about 120 disciples still left hanging around. And then their kids. Because the kids are just running around crazy. They didn't have like the G Kids program we have. They didn't have the nursery we had. So you come into worship like your kids are pulling on your hair and everything else. Come on, any mamas in the room like glad for nursery, right? Yep. Okay, so they didn't have that. They're somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred something adults, a bunch of kids, and they're all together and they are tight. I mean, do you know what it's like to have your best friends? You've really been through something. We've got a lot of soldiers. I mean, we're talking like foxhole type kind of stuff, you know. They have walked the earth with Jesus. They've seen Jesus preach, you know, like some of us are like, man, I saw the Beatles live. I saw this. I saw that. I mean, these guys saw Jesus. They watched miracles happen. They were on the earth with him. They watched him be crucified. They were there when he preached after he was resurrected. These people have been through a lot together. They've got some experiences, and now outsiders, I don't think so. I mean, we've got our little group. We're small. We still fit in a room together. It's the upper room, but it's still good. Good wind, breeze, everything else, <laughs> whatever, you know. But then God shows up, pours out the Holy Spirit, and Peter stands up to preach. Poor Peter. Can you all imagine what it was like to be Peter? I mean, the guy's never preached a sermon in his life, never had any training, has no idea what to do. The last guy to preach was Jesus, you know, so hey, you're following Jesus. Peter stands up and he preaches, and I just want y'all to watch what happens. It says, so those who received Peter's words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. One day, first megachurch, God's idea. Go back and read the story of all of chapter 2, you'll figure out man couldn't make that happen. God showed up and did something. Seems that was God's idea. I just want you to stop and do the math in your head for a minute. That means when they woke up that morning, a little over 100 adults in their church, when they went to sleep that night, over 3,000. Y'all know what that ratio is? That's about one person who has a clue what's going on to 30 that has no clue what's going on. I want y'all just to think to yourselves for a minute, what would happen here at Grace Life if I stood up right now and said, hey, so, you know, there was this really cool outreach last night. And so we got busloads of people in the parking lot. And so as you leave, I want every one of you to grab 30 people who know nothing about Jesus or the Bible, take them to your house, teach them everything they need to know. Each of you, 30. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's the scenario that they're in. And you would think, stop, right? Come on, God, can we just bar the doors? After all, like we did our job. You said, go and make disciples. We increased like 30 times over. We've done our job. We should get a pat on the back. But it didn't stop. They continued meeting house to house and preaching, and guess what happened when they did? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Seriously, God, like 1 to 30 wasn't a bad enough ratio? You want to make it 1 to 40? How many thousands of people do you want in this church? 
When are we going to stop? We're out of chairs. These people didn't even realize that was my seat. I sit there every week. That's my favorite seat, right? Like I've got the good seat. I know where the speakers like just line up and the lights are like perfect. And, you know, I know how Jimmy stands and I've got like my spot. And these new people, they keep taking my spot. I can't handle this. A few miracles later, a few sermons later in Acts chapter 5. And more than ever, whoa, wait a minute, back, back up. So we already added 3,000 in a day. And now we're constantly adding, and you can use the phrase, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, yeah, we can count 3,000, we can't count. Seriously? Multitudes of both men and women. And I'm going to stop in chapter 5. We could keep going. It keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening. The church is expanding. And we're still just, I mean, one location. We're not even talking about what's going to happen later on when it just spreads out all across the world. We're just talking about Jerusalem. One group of people. Let's be honest. Can a large church lose what made it special when it was small? Yes. But it doesn't have to. Can a large church be impersonal? Yes, but it doesn't have to, which is the very reason we're doing this series, to talk about who we are, who we are going to fight to be, so that as God sends new people, we don't lose our soul, whatever that means to each of you as a church. So back to our story, now that we hopefully understand God seems to be okay with a church that's growing, as a matter of fact, it might even be his idea. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. Important words, being neglected in the daily distribution. You know, one reason that we like small churches is because as it gets bigger, there are more people, and with more people comes more problems. More problems. Anybody like more problems? I didn't think so. None of us like more problems. That's why some of us were like, yep, I'm just never getting married. It's easier to make one person happy than two. Some of you are like, I'm never having kids. It's easier to make two people happy than four, five, six, whatever it is, okay? When you get bigger, you automatically have more problems. And the reality here is that word that they were being neglected. Here's what that tells us. They weren't just whining. They weren't just selfish because someone took their special seat. No, no, no. They really had legitimate problems. They went from a little over 100 to thousands in an incredibly short period of time, there is no way they could keep up with what was going on, and they had real problems. Now they needed a real solution. So what did they do? It says the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here's the truth. If a church is growing, the demands on its leadership will also grow. If a church is growing, the demands on the leadership will also grow. So a church that wants to be healthy and make an impact will have to make a change. Did you get that? A church that wants to be healthy and make an impact will also have to make a change. And that change is to recognize that one or a few leaders cannot do everything. They cannot be involved in everything. They cannot know everything. And they cannot do everything for everyone. It simply will not be possible. 
And you know, when some people read this passage, they, they misinterpret this thing. They think it's a little bit about some people being above certain jobs, and like there's a hierarchy or something. You, you almost read it like the disciples were going, well, I am called to preach. I could never come to such a lowly position as serving the tables. Wasn't that a way at all? It sounds that way a little bit, except look at the kind of guys they went after. Get men that are full of wisdom, great reputation, great leaders, and let's get them to do this. Because, see, here's the deal. It's not that this is a higher job. It simply is the one I'm created for. It's what I am called to do. It's who God made me. And if I leave my job to come over here and do your job, then then we're going to end up with things not working because now my job is getting neglected. Right now, this job is getting neglected. So for me to go from here to there, all that does is change which job gets neglected. So I can look in the mirror and recognize God called me to teach the word and and God calls somebody else to deal with this. Who can we get to do this? It wasn't because one job is cooler, one person was better. It simply is recognizing we're all called to do different things. I'm going to prove it to you. Don't turn there because you don't have time. Ephesians 4 says... God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, it did not say that God gave the apostles only for this. And it did not say God gave the prophets only for this. Or that God gave the shepherds only for And you see where I'm going with this. We need all of these different giftings to come together. We need someone who is good at at the prophecy part and someone who is an apostle and someone who is a shepherd and someone who is a teacher and someone who is an event. It's going to take all of us working together to do what God has called us to do because we have different callings and we're created in different ways. It's not about being above a job. It's recognizing if God created me to do this job, this is where my A game is. And if I step out of what God created me to do, to do something else that someone else could be doing, now I'm doing my B game. And now somebody who was created to do this has to go over there and do my job. Next thing you know, all of us are doing our B game when we could just do what we're called to do and everybody doing their A game. What kind? I mean, can you imagine the difference, right? It's about recognizing who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. And getting people to figure out that they have a role. I want you to just think back right before this happened. Stephen was one of the people that they chose to do this. Stephen actually is about to get martyred very soon. He's going to go down in history. He's going to be famous. He's going to be an example to all of us. He was a man full of wisdom, had a great reputation, full of faith. He saw into heaven. I don't know about you, but being Stephen is a pretty good, awesome job. I mean, most of us are not going to go down in history nearly as cool as Stephen was. But right before this happened, Stephen's just kind of standing around with his hands in his pockets going, Hey, it's kind of fun around here. I wish I had something to do. Yeah, I guess I'll just go listen to them teach one more time. That's, that's about all there is for me. Stephen didn't know who he was or what he was called to do. And so as soon as they recognize we've got to stop trying to do all of this, now suddenly Stephen finds his calling. And many other people did too. Now check out this next phrase because I think it's one of the most important parts of the passage. Most of us would just read through this kind of pass it off. We think it's just extra words. Beginning of verse 5 says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Doesn't seem important, does it? Actually, it's incredibly important because they were radically changing how things were going to work. They were saying, wait a minute, no, no, no longer 
can all the thousands of you expect us to do everything that needs to be done? But we're going to give some of these jobs to other people and they're going to have to do some of these and they're going to be your leaders in that area and they're going to make this happen and it's going to be good. And if the people had said, I don't think so, because I like you and I like coming to your office and I like talking to you and that's the way it's going to be or I'm out of here. The impact of the church in the first century would have dramatically changed at that point. History wouldn't be what we know it to be. What God did through them would have not been what we read about if it hadn't have been for people saying, okay, we get it. It's going to have to change. This sounds good to us. And because the people said, this sounds good, we're going to roll with it. You know what happened? Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Again, God? I mean, we're already like 50 to 1, maybe 60 to 1. We've lost count. We don't know. There are so many people. They're all over the place. Not only are they taking my seat, I don't even have a seat. There's not even a seat anymore. We've got like standing room only. We've got people are like falling out of windows and dying now to try and hear people preach. This is ridiculous, God. How big does a church need to be? Turns out God seems to like a big church. I don't know. I'm not saying bad. there's anything wrong with a small church, but God seems to be interested in populating heaven. And, and the path to that is that they're in a church on earth until they get there. And people have got to come to know who he is for some reason. God seems to have no problem with a growing church. So here's where we have to stop and go, what, what, what are we going to do about this? Because if God keeps sending people, if God wants people in heaven, if God wants people saved, if God has just proven his word true and God is calling lots of people by the thousands, is it our place to bar the doors and say no? No. So the first thing we've got to do is accept this is out of our control. That part is none of our business. God wants the church to grow, okay. What we have to do is figure out how we're going to respond to it. We've got to figure out what our part is going to be in that. So what does this mean for us today? Well, the first thing it means for some people in the room, and, and all you, you just hear what I'm saying, you can go ahead and go to lunch. I'm going to let you out early. All you need to know is that it is biblical, it is good, it is godly for a church to be growing. It is, which means every week when you come back, there's going to be a new face you don't know. That means we're accomplishing the mission God gave us, and that is all somebody needed to hear today. And if that's good, awesome. But there are two things I really want us to get out of this passage, two things. The second one is that you most likely, you most likely have a role in leadership that you have no idea what God has called you to do so that you can help make sure no one is being neglected. When we move into a new building, and if God were to send 30 to 1, I can't do all that. Chris can't do all that. Daniel and Chris and me together can't do all that. And Daniel's pretty good, but... No, no, no. Next week, we're going to come back to that one. That's pretty much the whole thing we want to talk about next week is what is God calling you to do in order to get ready. Today, I want us to talk about one very simple thing, and that is how we relate to titles in the church. Because I think we need a new understanding of one title in particular and how we relate to that person, and that word is pastor. You see, a pastor in America is expected to be a leader. They're expected to be a teacher. They're expected to be a shepherd. 
They're expected to be a do-it-all guy, like I should wear like a Superman shirt underneath and like, you know, just rip my shirt open and go, I'm here, the pastor's in the house, you know. <laughs> then I have to get all my buttons sewn back on over and over and I don't want to do that. So. But the reality is pastors are just like every other person that God created. We are unique. And we have different giftings. And just because we're all called pastors doesn't mean we're the exact same. I've got some really good pastor friends and we are so different. You know, when you think about what, what would you expect of a pastor? Well, some of us are, are a lot leader and a little bit teacher. Other ones might be a lot teacher and a little bit shepherd. And other ones, man, you just cut them wide open and they're just shepherd through and through and through and they don't want to teach anything. Just let them love people, man. They just want to love people. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he calls us people sheep. So one of the things that he expects of a pastor is that they love his people, they care for his people, they meet the needs. And that's where we actually get the word pastor from. When we use the word pastor, it's the exact same Greek word. Some of you, as you're reading your Bible along with me, when I use the word shepherd, which was in the version I'm reading, your version said pastor, because it's the same. To be a shepherd of God's people, to be a pastor of God's people. And we need them all. The church needs leaders, so there is clear vision and a plan to accomplish it. The church needs teachers so that we can learn what God's word actually says and how to live by it. The church needs evangelists so that we can learn how to reach those who are not yet a part of the church. The church needs shepherds so that the people are cared for. Are you getting the idea here? The problem is in America, we call all church leaders pastors because everything else just sounds weird. And so even when someone's not particularly a, a true shepherd in their gifting, we call them a pastor anyway. We walk up and say, hey, I'm a pastor, nice to meet you. Because, you know, if you, tr if you called us what we really are sometimes, it gets you in a lot of trouble. So my primary gifting is not actually shepherding, but it's, it's more being a leader and a teacher. Those are my two primary spiritual giftings, leader and teacher. But if I walked up to someone and said, it's nice to meet you, I'm the supreme leader of Grace Life. How's that going to go? Hey, just try inviting someone to church one Sunday using true titles. Hey, would you like to go to church with me next week? Our leader is going to be delivering a message on how we can radically change the world. Yeah, that's not going to go over very well. You could try this one. Hey, would you like to come to church with me next week? Our shepherd's going to be teaching us how to have better marriages. Anybody come to church with you then? I mean, it doesn't matter what you say. If you say anything other than pastor, this is not going to go over very well. But not everybody is actually a shepherd. So the bottom line today, what I want us to talk about is to learn to answer this question. Who is your pastor? Who is your pastor? Now, in your defense... I do expect all of you to still say, me. I'm on the list. Shouldn't be the only one on the list, but I, I should be on the list. If, if you're at Target and I walk in the store and you wave at me, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? And the person with you says, who's that? Please do not refer to me as your supreme leader of, your, of, of whatever. <laughs> I never use the word supreme to apply to me anyway. Please do not call me your weekly teacher. That's just weird. No, just call me your pastor. Because I am. 
I am the leader of the church that you go to. I am the person who is ultimately responsible for your soul. It is okay that I'm on that list. It's okay that you refer to me that way. But you need to actually answer this question. Who is your pastor? And what I mean is, who do you sit down and have a conversation with and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something going on in my soul. I need some biblical advice on how to live my life. I've got a decision coming up, and I don't really know how to make this decision. And Honestly, I'm struggling with this, or I'm having a hard time with that, or my spouse and I. Who do you have that conversation with? Because mathematically, you're not all having it with me. It's not possible. There aren't enough hours in the day. Who is your pastor? You see, before God can add a hundred, much less a thousand, much less multitudes of people to us who need to learn how to answer that question, we've got to learn how to answer that question. In America, we just walk around and go, oh, that's my pastor over there. Really? Yeah, because he preaches at my church. I never had a conversation with him. He has no idea what's going on in my soul. I don't talk about anything with my soul with anybody. Really, the true answer is you have no pastor. You have no shepherd of your soul. So let me help us get some answers to this question. Who's your pastor? We're going to start with this. Raise your hand if you have a roommate called a parent. Come on. You got a roommate called a parent. I'm seeing some hands here. Roommates called parents. Okay, you may not like what I'm about to say, but those are your first pastor. They're your first pastors. God created them to help you follow him. They are there to help you make decisions of wisdom until you figure out how to do it on your own. No, they're not perfect. Yes, they'll mess something up. Yes, you'll need counseling. So will my kids. It's okay. <laughs> That's just the way it's going to work. But they are the people God put in your life to help you get from this thing this size that just whines and cries and poops to who you are called to be. Raise your hand if you're married. If you're married, you should be able to share what's going on in your soul with your spouse and receive some feedback. And if your marriage is not in a situation to do that, then our other pastors will help you with marriage counseling. But you need to get to a place where you can do that. Who is your spiritual mentor? Did you ever have someone when you started following Jesus that you sat down with them and they taught you how to read the Bible, how to pray, you know, answered some questions? Well, if not, we need to learn how to do that because we need to be able to be that person for other people in the very near future. Everyone needs a spiritual mentor. People need to be discipled. And some of us have never been discipled. Maybe you're in a small group and your life group leader is your pastor. Maybe you've gotten really close with them. You have conversations. You meet them for coffee outside the group. That's awesome. Maybe you were in their life group three years ago and they're still your pastor. You still meet them for coffee. That's awesome. But I want to give you today, our big announcement today is I want to give you one more answer to the equation. So hopefully already you've discovered you've got a couple of answers to who could be your pastor when someone asks that question. But one of the things that we want to talk about is, is a change of structure that we're bringing to our pastoral team so that we can do a better job of making sure that no one is, remember the words? being neglected because the reality is again my gifts are different my gifts are different when i wake up i don't wake up every day thinking about the people that i met with yesterday and still praying for them 
Please don't take this the wrong way, but I wake up every day thinking about how to lead us as a church family to do what God has called us to do. I wake up thinking, how can we make Jesus more famous in Columbia today than we did yesterday? I wake up as a teacher thinking, man, I can't wait to preach this message. I literally am writing sermons in my dreams. I know I'm weird, okay, but I do it because it's what's in me. But I'm not a natural people person. True story, in my 20s, I took one of those personality tests. It was one of those that gave you animals, like beaver, otter, something, something. I don't remember which one it was, but I still got a paper copy of this to prove my point. Never threw it away because the one category, whichever animal meant that you loved people, I scored a zero. (laughs) Not supposed to happen. No one is supposed to score a zero. Like the scores are supposed to be like 90, 70, 50, 60. Zero is like, did a robot take this test? Because the reality is there was something broken in me. One Sunday when I was a worship pastor, which is another scary thought, because I can't sing. But one Sunday when I was a worship pastor, I was on stage and I needed to say something to the sound person. And, And so that means that I needed to get through a sea of God's people to deliver a message. And I successfully left the stage and went back to the sound booth without giving one high five, without shaking one hand, without one hello, and no lie, without making eye contact with an individual in the entire room. You know what I did get? An appointment with the pastor the next day. It turns out I offended some people. And the pastor said, Jimmy, you, you, you're coming across as really arrogant and stuck up. What is that all about? I, I'm fine. He's like, well, why, why do you walk through the people and don't talk to them? I said, because they're not my people. I don't need them. They, I mean, it sounded good in my head. Because I think at the time, like, these are my people. The worship team is my people. My sound person is my people. You people are not my people is the way I thought. There was something very, very broken that I could score a zero on the people test. Now, once God healed that, and once God started to begin to use me, he taught me, you can't lead my people if you don't love my people. And I've learned to become a pastor. I've learned how to, to really, truly love people. But just because God healed me doesn't mean that God made me someone I never was intended to be. I'm still not a shepherd. I'm still a teacher. I'm still a leader. So up until this point at Grace Life, you've had someone you called a pastor whose weakness was being a pastor. And we had Brett, our worship pastor, who's actually an excellent pastor, but he's very busy with the worship side of things. So there's not a lot of room left for a whole lot of other people. He does a great job with a lot. And we've had Patrice, our women's pastor, but she's also been running our children's department ministries and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, her time has been divided. And up until now, we have never had someone whose primary gifting, like the way God created them, if you could peel back the skin and look inside, all you find is shepherd. Like they wake up praying about the people they met the day before and praying for the appointments they're going to have that day because all they want to do is help people. I don't understand that. 
But it's amazing that God made some people that way. So I'd like to introduce to you guys our very first campus pastor, Kent Fancher. What this means is this is going to be Kent's primary job to actually shepherd the people of Grace Life if this is your church and if this is your campus. And some of you are like, what? Do we have more than one campus? No, we don't. (laughs) But we hope to soon because we know if we're going to make Jesus famous in Columbia, you cannot do it from one building in one suburb. So we do plan on being multi-geographical. So we're going to go ahead and start to think big now. This is our first campus. Kent is our campus pastor. That means if you need help with your marriage, Kent's here. It means if you are struggling with something in your soul, Kent's here. Means if you need a wedding or you need a funeral, you want to dedicate a baby, you need to be baptized, Kent's here. Means if you need biblical advice on how to live your life, you need someone to talk to, you need counsel on a decision, you need wisdom, you need someone just to pray with you, Kent is here. Because it is who Kent is created to be. And the beauty of this is instead of causing me to be really divided and bring my B game to some appointments, Kent is able to bring his A game, and I'm able to keep doing what God created me to do and bring my A game. Just to make sure you understand a little bit of Kent's history, he's been around since the beginning. He's been an ordained pastor for several decades. He's not the new kid on the block that we're trying to train. He is ready to go. He's been doing this for a long time. He was a nuclear engineer, so don't try to outsmart him. He got his degree in math. He'll beat your calculator, so, you know, just don't even go there. But Kent's been around Grace Life since day one. There was a time more than, more than a decade ago when we were praying about whether or not we we're going to start this church and a couple of families here in South Carolina and a few families from other states were all coming together to just say, what if? What if we do this? And that was the night. We did it right here in Columbia. It was the Winget Inn by Texas Roadhouse over on Two Notch Road in 77. If you guys want some Grace Life history, that was a magic moment. We met in that, that little room there in that hotel. And that was the first day I met Kent. He led us in worship that night and he was our first worship pastor for many years. He's been around here. He knows Grace Life DNA. He's been shepherding people for so long. Many of you are surprised. I'm just now announcing we're actually going to start paying him for what he's been doing. Well, there you go. He's only been on the job now for, uh, is it three weeks? You made a whole three weeks? Let me just tell you some amazing stories. Uh, I'll just tell you one. First week on the job, somebody apparently needed marriage counseling. Usually, I have to find out about it. I have to schedule an appointment. I have whatever. I didn't even know. Kent was already like, oh, somebody needs help. I've got it. Like, he got the message. He, he just totally, like, left me out of it. <laughs> and so next thing I know, somebody's driving up to the building and walking in. I'm thinking, uh-oh, I've got a spontaneous appointment. Or did I forget one again? Oh, I've done that, unfortunately. And this couple goes right to work with Kent. And I'm like, did that really just happen? Like, I've actually never even met the couple one-on-one. Like, I was like amazed. Like, I mean, seriously, like people that I, I don't even know yet are already reaching out to Kent. Kent sits down to help them with their marriage. And a little while into the, the appointment, one of the first things he figures out is I've got two people in front of me, but only one of them is going to be in heaven. That's probably a part of the reason the marriage is struggling. And so Kent immediately begins to deal with that. And by the time that appointment is over, now both people in that marriage are going to heaven. Come on, let's cheer for that, right? Yep. I could tell you other stories, but that's the point. That's who we're getting with Kent Fancher. He's been our elder, one of our elders here since the beginning as well. But I need you to hear this next sentence. This is not about adding a pastor. 
I have never stood up here and made this kind of announcement when we hired a staff member. This is not about adding a person, not about adding a pastor. It is about Acts chapter 6. We are radically restructuring how we do what we do. Instead of asking me to do something I'm not created to do most of the time, I'm going to be able to focus on what I am created to do, which is vision for the church, praying, talking with God, seeking in his word, how we can grow to be better people, training the leaders that are here to help you. That's what God's called me to do. And God's called Kent to be a shepherd and Patrice to be a shepherd and Brett to be a shepherd. And so we can each do what God has called us to do. Now, at this point, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are feeling kind of not good. And it's okay, because it's a big change. And I just want you to think about this. If you know the Gospels, you know there was a point where Jesus knew he was leaving. He knew he was about to be crucified and would soon be in heaven. And he told his disciples, he said, hey, it, it's, it's going to be better for you that I go. I want everybody just to think for a minute. These people walked the earth with Jesus. They saw him raise people from the dead. They had planned on him being like the king of kings on earth, not just in heaven. They sunk everything they had into the idea that, man, this was like a movement. I mean, you can imagine Peter going, what, what, what? No, you, you can't go. I mean, like, somebody probably already took my boat, man. I left it three years ago. I don't even have a job anymore. Can you just imagine how they felt? Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. But what Jesus was doing was saying, look, you, you like what you have. You've got me in this one spot, in this one body, at this one moment. But imagine if we could take what's inside of me and put it inside of every single one of you, anywhere you are at every single moment. It's going to be better for you. We still struggle with that change that Jesus put into place. So I'm, I'm not going to expect everybody to run out high-fiving with this change. It's going to take a little while for us to embrace a structure change in how we relate to titles. What we need to accept is that just because my business card says senior pastor, it does not mean that I'm the best pastor. I'm far from it. He's the best pastor any day of the week. But I also need to say this so none of you are freaking out. This is not a prelude to another announcement. I am not going anywhere. I am not going anywhere. Every other service has been really scared. I'm not going anywhere. We're simply trying to reach a city, and we need more people on the team to do it, and everybody doing what they were created to do. I'm not going anywhere. In our family of churches, just to give you a little background, when we take over a church and say, yes, I will pastor that church, we say yes, meaning for life. Now, some people have occasionally, God has told them to go and do something else, but for the most part, overwhelmingly, statistically, we do it until we die. This is what we're here to do. I did everything in my power to get out of South Carolina, and, and you guys can understand why. I mean, you all live here, right? I mean, I was raised here. I was educated here. I went to college in another state. I bought a one-way ticket and moved on the other side of the globe, and God still dragged me back here. So I simply surrendered and said, okay, God, I will live in South Carolina. It's got some good days. 
and I will reach the people of South Carolina. It's just, it's where I am. I don't, I'm not going anywhere. Everybody relax. I'm not going anywhere. And I will not abandon you. If you need me, I'm still here. What we're doing is making the team better by giving you a true pastor, someone whose spiritual gift is pastor. My title might be, but it's his gift. And that's a huge difference. This will be better for you. It will be better for our ability to reach our city. So I'm gonna close with this. The passage. I'm gonna read the last sentence and ask you, do you want this to be said of grace life? Verse seven, said the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. The word of God continued to increase and the disciples multiplied greatly. Not a rhetorical question. Do you want this to be said of grace life? There are more of you in the room than I just heard. Do you want this to be said of grace life? Then this is the first thing we must change. In order to become the church God has called us to be, in order to build a church while the workers build a building, we need to learn the answer to the question. Who is your pastor? I want to close by talking to some of you today who have never made Jesus your king. Maybe this is your first time going to church. Maybe you've been to church many times, but you have never made that personal exchange where you look at him hanging on the cross and say, thank you for dying for me. Now I want to live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that this morning. You don't have to do anything weird like stand up or come down front. Right where you're seated, would you all join me? And let's pray. Something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. for listening to the Grace Life podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.